2 Samuel chapter 21. Before I read this chapter, I just will mention something. We've been going through the first and the second books of Samuel, all the stories of Saul, all the stories of David. Now we're still reading stories of David, but something different's happening now. And we'll talk more about it after we've read the chapter. But we now have got four, the four last chapters of this book, and they're all, recur they're all recursing back into the life of David to tell stories that are out of chronological order. So for some reason, we've been through the whole life of David, we finished with the last chapter, um, but now we're going to have these four chapters of things which belong back in the story in other places. So in these four chapters, there are various things going to be told. And in this chapter, we're going to tell a story about a famine, which happened at some point earlier in David's reign. I don't know why it wasn't told in order, but scholars have examined these four chapters and they found that there's a, what they call a chiastic pattern to them. So these last four chapters of 2 Samuel, they follow this pattern where the, the first part and the last part are themed the same, and the, the second part and the second last part are themed the same, and the third part and the third last part are themed the same, and it forms like a pattern, like a mirror. It goes in and then goes out. And it, so there's like a literary, there's literary features in these last four chapters which show us that it was done deliberately on purpose. Someone planned these four chapters uh, for a purpose. And um, so we've got some themes at work in these four chapters. I'm not gonna go into all of that too much. There are people who, are, who love analyzing all these literary components. We're more just gonna talk about the actual stories. But it's worth noting that these four chapters are not just afterthoughts. You know, someone didn't just say, ah, there's a few extra good stories about David, let's add them on. No, these were planned. Whoever wrote the book, which we know was Gad and Nathan the prophet, this is 2 Samuel, they um, planned these chapters to be at the end in a certain order, fitting a certain pattern for good reasons. So let's read. There was a famine in the days of David for three years, year after year. And David sought the face of Yahweh, and Yahweh said, It is for Saul and for his bloody house, because he put the Gibeonites to death. The king called the Gibeonites and said to them, Now the Gibeonites were not of the children of Israel, but of the remnant of the Amorites. And the children of Israel had sworn to them, and Saul sought to kill them in his zeal for the children of Israel and Judah. And David said to the Gibeonites, What should I do for you? And with what should I make atonement that you may bless Yahweh's inheritance? The Gibeonites said to him, it is no matter of silver or gold between us and Saul or his house, neither is it for us to put any man to death in Israel. He said, I will do for you whatever you say. They say to the king, The man who consumed us and who devised against us that we should be destroyed from remaining in any of the borders of Israel, let seven men of his sons be delivered to us, and we will hang them up to Yahweh in Gibeah of Saul, the chosen of Yahweh. The king said, I will give them. But the king spared Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, because of Yahweh's oath that was between them, between David and Jonathan, the son of Saul. But the king took the two sons of Rizpah, the daughter of Aiah, whom she bore to Saul, Armoni and Mephibosheth, and the five sons of Michael, the daughter of Saul, whom she bore to Adriel, the son of Barzillai, the Maholothite. 
he delivered them into the hands of the Gibeonites, and they hanged them on the mountain before Yahweh, and all seven of them fell together. They were put to death in the days of harvest, in the first days at the beginning of the barley harvest. Rizpah, the daughter of Aiah, took sackcloth and spread it for herself on the rock from the beginning of the harvest until water poured on them from the sky. She allowed neither the birds of the sky to rest on them by day, nor the animals of the field by night. David was told what Rizpah, the daughter of Aiah, the concubine of Saul, had done. So David went and took the bones of Saul and the bones of Jonathan his son from the men of Jabesh-Gilead who had stolen them from the street of Bethshan, where the Philistines had hanged them in the day that the Philistines killed Saul in Gilboa. And he brought them up from there, the bones of Saul and the bones of Jonathan his son. They also gathered the bones of those who were hanged. They buried the bones of Saul and Jonathan his son in the country of Benjamin in Zelah, in the tomb of Kish his father. And they performed all that the king commanded. And after that, God answered the prayer for the land. The Philistines had war again with Israel, and David went down and his servants with him and fought against the Philistines. David grew faint, and Ish-bi-benob, who was of the sons of the giant, the weight of whose spear was 300 shekels of bronze in weight, he being armed with a new sword, he thought he would kill David. But Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, helped him and struck the Philistine and killed him. Then the men of David swore to him, saying, Don't go with us to battle any more, so that you don't quench the lamp of Israel. After this, there was war again with the Philistines at Gob. Then Sibachai, the Hushathite, killed Saph, who was of the sons of the giants. There was again war with the Philistines at Gob. And Elhanan, the son of Ja'ari Oregim, the Bethlehemite, killed Goliath, the Gittite's brother, the staff of whose spear was like a weaver's beam. There was war again at Gath, where there was a man of great stature who had six fingers on every hand and six toes on every foot, twenty-four in count, and he was also born to the giant. When he defied Israel, Jonathan the son of Shimei, David's brother, killed him. These four were born to the giant in Gath, and they fell by the hand of David and by the hand of his servants. All right, so this is a story well, there's a couple of stories, actually. There's the story of the, the famine and the Gibeonites. Um, and then there's the, the second part about the defeating of Goliath's four relatives. So these two stories and there's one chapter. And so we come here and we notice that this famine in the land is, a, is caused by spiritual reasons. Because the famine is brought, you know, there's a famine. There's three years and there's no rain. David seeks the Lord, what's going on? The Lord says it's because of the way Saul treated the Gibeonites. So Saul attacked this tribe called the Gibeonites. If we go all the way back in the Bible to Joshua chapter, it's, it's nine, I think. And um, in there we have a story of how the Gibeonites deceived Joshua. Joshua was coming into Israel and they didn't want to attack anyone. I mean, they didn't want to make a deal with anyone. They were gonna attack and conquer the entire land but the Gibeonites was from the town of Gibeon. They pretended that they had come from a long, long way away. And so Joshua made a deal with them, thinking that, you know, they're not from here, so we, we don't have to fight them. But then a few days later, they discovered they were from there. But Joshua didn't go back on his word because it was given in the name of the Lord, even though they were deceived. So here we've got 400 years later, Saul starts killing Gibeonites. 
Because of that, it puts a curse on the land. Now, the, the, the blood of the Gibeonites is spilled. It's a violation of the covenant the Israelites made with Gibeon. So because of that, there's a spiritual reason why there's no rain. It cannot rain on the land. There's a spiritual cause. And so we often, we put everything down to um, physical causes. You know, people who are alive today, we think very rationally. We don't give much credence to the idea that, oh, someone was killed and therefore it won't rain. That doesn't make sense to, you know, science. So um, we, we're looking for things like, uh, you know, scientific reasons why it's not raining. <laughs> it's climate change, right? You know, the, we, we've not been treating the planet properly, which is true, but you know, these are all the reasons why things are going wrong. And, um, but here we've got a chapter explaining that there's a spiritual reason for the problems that were affecting the land. So David seeks the Lord, the Lord explains it to him. David goes to the Gibeonites and says, what would you like me to do about this? He wants to make the matter right. He wants to make amends on behalf of Israel. And if you were the Gibeonites, <laughs> if I was the Gibeonites, at this point I would have said, uh, free us from slavery. Now the Gibeonites were slaves. If you read the Bible back in Joshua chapter 9, it says that, that even though Joshua didn't kill them and attack them, they made them slaves. So the Gibeonites, their lives were spared, but they were in the land as servants. This was your chance to get free. But for some reason, they want revenge. They want seven of Saul's descendants to be killed. Saul, uh, David already made a, an arrangement with one of Saul's sons, Jonathan, that he wouldn't harm his family. And there were limited descendants of Saul to choose from. So he finds these two sons of Rizpah, which are like, she's like a granddaughter of Saul. So these are like great-grandsons of Saul. He kills these two. He, you know, they're two of the seven. And then the, it says there were five sons of Michael. Now, when, I, when we talked about Michael, I think it was um, back in the early parts of second... Michael's appeared a few times through the books of Samuel. She appeared way early when she was David's wife, right back at the beginning. She was David's first wife but she, they didn't have any children. David escaped, she helped him to escape, and then she was given to Paltiel as a husband. But it said, and, and then later on, it says that uh, David, you know, David got her back as a wife, and then it says that David danced into the city, she looked out the window, she despised him, and the Bible says they had, she had no children till the day she died. So we've got these interesting couple of passages that seem contradictory. Number one, she was David's wife, but then she was Paltiel's wife. This passage says she was Adriel's wife. So there's a contradiction there. Earlier it says that she had no children till the day she died, but here it says that she had five children. So what's the go? <laughs> well, there's a few arguments about what's the real answer here, but I'm pretty sure I've got this right. <laughs> so what happened is that she was with David. She was taken away and given to Paltiel. And then she came back to David. She had no children to the day she died. That's what happened. That's what the Bible says. And uh, earlier on I said she had five children, but I've now realized from reading further that these five children that she had that are mentioned here were, um, were not, they weren't from Paltiel before she met, came back to David. These were the children of her sister's husband, Adriel. So it says here, that she um, had five um, children, the sons of Adriel. Well, Adriel was her sister's husband. 
So her sister was called Mirab or Mirab. She had five sons. And uh, her sister's husband was Adriel. And how I figured all this out was in the Jewish, uh, there's a book called the Jewish Mid or the Jewish Midrash, Jewish Traditions. And in there it says that Mirab died young and Michael took over the care of Mirab's five sons. So what that means is that David's actually caring for these five sons. David is trying to find seven descendants of Saul, but five of them he's providing for. They're being raised by one of his own wives. Michael, she's raising the five sons of her sister, and these are the five sons of Adriel. So it's a complicated little situation. So the Bible is correct. Every place where it says these three things, they're not contradictory. They're just contradictory if you don't know a bit more detail. But what interested me was the fact that David's actually the one paying for the care of these five boys, and he's the one that hands them over. I think it was a terrible mistake to say to the Gibeonites um, that he would do whatever they asked. I think that was a mistake. And I think it was a terrible mistake of the Gibeonites to say they wanted seven, they wanted vengeance instead of asking for something for themselves because the situation could have been resolved in other ways. And then it says, once that happened, that the Lord heard the prayers for the land. And so we see that the issue was resolved spiritually and then the famine is gone. It's so strange. And spiritual things are often strange like this too. In the New Testament, we're told in the book of Hebrews that we have a better blood. Now, what's the better blood? It's the blood of Jesus Christ. This is what we learn in the book of Hebrews. And so when we find that there's problems that are of a spiritual nature, we don't have to resort to vengeance. We don't have to resort to witchcraft, curses, all these types of things. There may be some times to make amends. That may be important. There's certainly times to forgive. There are things that we can do, but we have a better blood. And we apply the better blood to wash away things that are afflictions on the land. So we've got the blood here of the Gibeonites. And you know, if, it was, if this was a modern day thing, um, what we would do is we would go and we would pray and we would be on the land and we would say, Lord, how do you want to deal with this? And we would ask the Lord to forgive the sins of the past. We would apply the blood of Christ to it. It'd be a, an intercessory process that we would work through that would heal the land. And we've got many stories. My father in particular has many stories of, of spiritual problems that manifest in physical ways that have been resolved through prayers. I'm encouraging my dad to write some books about these things and uh, you can join in your prayers that he will get around to writing those books and uh, here at peace we're having a spiritual warfare conference in two weeks and uh, he'll be talking about some stories of these types of themes if you're watching this video after the conference just go to our youtube channel and look for spiritual warfare conference 2021 and you will find it this chapter finishes with uh, describing four more giants and all of these are relatives of Goliath. One of them is actually called um, Goliath as well. And some people have said that the Bible is confused. It's not confused. Goliath was a common name. And this was like a, a genetic thing. There was, it, Goliath wasn't the only giant. There was a bunch of them. And you know how common it is to call your own children by your own name. It happens all the time. One of my own sons is called David. Same name as me. It's very, very common to call your children by your own same name or to give them a middle name the same as yours. And this isn't just a new thing. This has been going on all of humanity. So here we've got an example of Goliath has a relative who's also called Goliath.
There's nothing weird about it at all. Um, if you were going to make up stories, you wouldn't make up stories with obvious contradictions in them. You'd make stories up that were more believable. But every now and then you have things like this where two people have the same name. No, it's because that's what, what happened. <laughs> so it's not weird at all. So Heavenly Father, we thank you for this chapter with these two little vignettes from David's life. The one about the famine and the Gibeonites and the one about the defeating of Goliath's four relatives. And I uh, want to thank you, Lord, for all scripture and all the lessons we learn. And our prayer today is, Lord, that we would learn to walk in the ways of Christ. And we think, Lord, of the blood. It's a better blood. And, Lord, we ask for this blood to be applied to, the, to Lord, the doorpost of our lives. I pray, Lord, that we would be under Christ. Lord, I pray today that if there's any spiritual condition over my listeners, any curse, any words spoken, any jealousy, Lord, any blood spilt from the past that hinders them, we apply the blood of Christ today and we cleanse away the iniquity. We cleanse away any famine or any reproach. I ask, Lord, that you'd bless all my listeners today in Jesus' name. Amen.